appreciate very much your presence here this morning. Anytime that we get up in the pulpit to give admonition from God's Word, it's our desire to build up the congregation, to build each of us up, to give us each a, a greater determination to serve a God in the, in the days to come. Last Sunday, Hugh talked a little bit about being asleep spiritually. And what I want to talk about this morning is probably one of the biggest factors uh, that's instrumental in causing us to be asleep spiritually. And that's, there we go, is indifference. You know, we've seen the influence the world has on each of us. Every day, we are exposed to sin of one sort or another. In the evil, day after day after day can cause us our resistance to wear down. It's easy to become numb. It's easy to tolerate sin rather than hate uh, evil. And apathy has always plagued man from his earliest existence. Have you ever stopped to think about what the long-term effect is of being asleep spiritually? Of being indifferent to the things around us? To being indifferent to sin? Have you thought about the long-term effect it's going to have on our children, our grandchildren, and generations to come? In 2 Chronicles, we read about three men, Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoram. All these men were kings of Israel. And the Bible said that Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Asa was a godly man. And he had a mission. And his mission was to destroy idolatry there in Judah. And he worked very hard to do that. But there was a problem. And the problem was that Asa failed to identify the sin that was next door. Israel's king Ahab and his wife Jezebel were very wicked. They had made it a, a point to kill all of God's prophets. They had promoted the worship of Baal and had led God's people into idolatry. Even though Asa was diligent about destroying the high places and the idol worship in Judah, he had pretty much ignored what was going on in Israel. Asa failed to be alarmed enough about what was going on in Israel to prepare his people, to warn them to be watchful, lest evil overtake them as it did uh, the people of Israel. In most areas, Asa was very zealous. There's probably not a one of us 
uh, after reading about him, would uh, categorize him as an indifferent type person. But as we read, continue to read about the events that transpired over the next few generations, we see that this, uh, what his, his apathy to the sin next door was going to be a plague that was going to plague his people for generations to come. We read about Jehoshaphat, Asa's son. He come along and he was even a little bit more careless. He still served the Lord, but he exposed himself, his children, and his people to the, the uh, idolatry in uh, Israel. Jehoshaphat uh, formed an alliance with Asa, I mean with uh, Ahab, the wicked king. What kind of influence do you think that partnership had on Jehoram, uh, Jehoshaphat's son? The Bible says that Jehoram married Ahab's daughter and walked in the ways of the kingdom of Israel and did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Over the course of three generations, it went from a grandfather that was diligent about serving God, that hated evil, to a grandson that had turned his back on God and embraced evil. My point is that a successful Christian cannot afford to be indifferent about anything. In Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse number 9, Paul said, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Paul gave Christians a directive. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Paul's use of the words being diligent, fervent in spirit, in our service to God, makes it plain that Christians can never let their guard down. We cannot afford to become indifferent and lazy. Abhor is a strong term, and it means to hate intensely, and carries the idea of loathing. In Scripture, God uses strong language such as abhor, hatred, uh, abomination, when he's talking about sin. All evil is detestable to God. My question is, have we the same hatred for sin that God does? Or is our feelings less intent and more tolerant? Revelation is the third chapter, beginning with verse number 15. Jesus was talking to the church at Laodicea, and he says, I know thy works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. To put it simply, apathy is disgusting to our Savior. I want to talk a little bit about tolerance. You know, in our society, Christians have been labeled as haters. 
if we're not tolerant of the lifestyles of, of people around us, the evil that they're involved in, and if we don't support that, then we become haters. The Apostle Peter said this would happen. In 1 Peter 4, verse 4, Peter said, When they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. The people of the world do not understand uh, restraining themselves. They don't understand not being involved in the evil around them. And they don't understand why you're not and why you don't want to be there. And because of that, they will speak evil of you. You know, Jesus said that that was going to happen. Wait a minute, I'm sorry. He says, if the world hates you, you know that he'd hated me first. As followers of Christ, we cannot be tolerate, we cannot tolerate sin. We cannot be a party to it. You know, I read a, an article uh, by a preacher named Mark Dunnigan. And he said, the more I think about it, this label of being a hater uh, that some want to place on Christians is so far from reality. I recently heard a Christian say that although he could go on and on with regard to the things that he loves and enjoys, there are actually very few things in his heart that he sincerely hated. He said, I believe that this is true for most Christians. He said, personally in my heart, the category that contains a number of things is the category of dislike. Or the things that I'm not very excited about. Yet dislike and abhor can be uh, worlds apart. There are restaurants that I do not personally like and are not my first choice, but I don't hate them. The same is true with cities, music, and a host of other choices. Another way of looking at this, he says, is asking yourself the question, how many things really make you shudder? What disgusts you? He says that category is likely quite small. And he said, yet, at times, it's too small. I believe when it comes to abhorring evil, the challenge we face is the devil is very skilled in wrapping evil and making it look harmless. Wrapping evil in a harmless looking package. Make it look good. And no doubt sin is enticing. James said that our lust draws us away and sin entices us. And the process is when, begins when we, a lust is conceived. And then we participate in the sin. And the final outcome is sin brings about suffering, heartache, and finally unresolved sin brings about death. Now I want to uh, give you an example of what I'm talking about. Satan making things look harmless. The Bible warns against the dangers associated with intoxicating beverages. In Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, verse number 29, Solomon said, Who has woe 
Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings uh, like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? In Mr. Dunnigan's writings, he pointed out at a bottle or a glass of wine in a TV ad with happy-looking couple enjoying themselves seems not only harmless, but luxurious. And he said that's the reason to, uh, today a number of people are uh, unable to uh, find, or they find it very hard to either condemn fornication, adultery, or homosexuality because they know someone who by all appearances is quite fun and charming, who is involved in that type of behavior. But what happens, he says, when, you, when one takes a step backward and looks past all the beautiful, happy faces and all the hip marketing and simply look at the practice for what it is? It continues, what if I told you that I had in invented a beverage that would have the following effects? It would make people do foolish things. It would impair their judgment, loosen inhibitions, and loosen tongues. It would, in a number of cases, result in, a hor in horrible car accidents, poverty, wife and child abuse, and even murder. He says this beverage would be so addictive that some people would sell everything and give up everything, even to the point of never bathing or living on the street, to just get another drink. Would you encourage me to market that beverage? Or would you consider me some sort of sadistic evil scientist who wanted to bring lots of suffering on the human race? Would you shrug your shoulders when I said this or react in horror? You know, we remember how uh, Lot was plagued with evil in the city where he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. In 2 Peter 2, beginning with verse number 7, Peter says, And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. You know, if we're not careful, our exposure to sin every day can wear our resistance down. We can become more tolerant of that sin. None of us are invincible. We can be sucked into sin and overcome with sin if we're not diligently watching uh, and preparing to fight it. This is why we must walk carefully 
This is why we need to be attentive to our walk, uh, daily walk with God. You know, this is what happened to some of Lot's family. They became casualties of the close contact of of the evil that was in Sodom. Does the evil that we come in contact with every day bother us anymore? I remember David Pinkerton gave a lesson a number of years back on the death of shame. And the bottom line was that we have grown accustomed to sin. We don't necessarily like sin, but we don't abhor it either. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse number 15, Paul says, look carefully or be cautious. Uh, uh, Be watchful. Then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Satan has an agenda and no doubt he wants us to participate in that sin, in sin. But at the very least, he is happy if he can make us, uh, if, if, we can, if he can convince us to be tolerant of sin. Or at least indifferent to it. That's as good as he needs. Because he knows what will happen. He wants to convince us that sin, whatever that sin might be, is not really evil. That it's just an alternate lifestyle designed to make our lives richer, fuller, and happier. The Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. We are bombarded daily. Everywhere we turn, we see sin portrayed as something wonderful. And all the beautiful people are doing it. So it must be okay. Make no mistake, Satan will take advantage of us if we are not, uh, if we're ignorant of his devices. But the fact is that sin never delivers uh, on its promise of making us all that in a bag of chips. But it does bring about a uh, devastating results. When we see the end results of the evil uh, that evil causes, the regrets, the sorrow, the heartaches, the misery, and the abuse of others, do you think Paul was being too harsh when he said, abhor that which is evil? But Paul also gave another directive. He says, cling to that, to what is good. This term is just as strong as the word abhor. And it means to hold fast together, to stay near. The word cling carries the idea of total devotion to what one loves. And it's that idea that God Uh, wants us to have in our marriage relationships you know Jesus said a man would leave father and mother and cling to his wife and they too should would become 
one flesh. The word cling carries uh, the idea of total devotion of what one loves. Just as there is a vast difference between dislike and abhor, there is quite a difference between liking something and loving something. I believe it, it was also Mr. Dunnigan that asked the question, how do you know uh, whether you like something or you love something or truly love something? And he said that a good gauge of that is our likes change uh, when what we love comes along. And I believe we have a good example of that in Mark the 10th chapter when the young ruler come to Jesus and ask him, good master, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Now the rich man truly loved or truly liked being a believer and being good. I believe he liked that because he talked about the things that he had kept from his youth up. And he really liked the idea of going to heaven. But when it came down to doing what was necessary to achieve it, what Jesus told him was to sell all and give to the poor and follow, follow him because he was a covetous man. But to say the least, that he did not love that idea above all else. The Bible says he went away sorrowful, for, for he had great possessions. In this example, his relationship uh, with God was alike. But his relationship with his wealth and his possessions was the love of his life. We truly love what we are willing to sacrifice everything for even our likes and our preferences. Jesus gave a parable of the treasure hidden in a field. In Matthew, the 13th chapter, beginning with verse number four. And Jesus said, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is what God wants from us, total devotion. He does not want us to be indifferent to things. He wants our love to be pure. He wants us to love good, to seek good, and to abhor what is evil. Love is consuming. We give our all to what we love. Jesus explained that loving deeply meant that we loved with our heart, all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. David says, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. In our life, is God's word a like? Or is it a love? Or are we indifferent to God's instructions? David loved to worship God. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Is coming to worship God and being with his people a like? Or a love? 
Or are we indifferent about this also? In Psalm 42, verse 1, the Bible says, As the deer pants for uh, the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Can we say that? We all like the idea of going to heaven. But my question is, do we truly love the idea of being with God eternally? Do we love thinking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what they have done for us and what they mean to us, to the point that we long to be with them? Is our love uh, great enough that we will do whatever it takes uh, and give up whatever is keeping us uh, from going to heaven. Indifference is a destroyer of all that is good. And it is an enabler of sin. Again, going back to David's lesson, he said it seems like that sin doesn't even make us blush anymore. We have become accustomed to sin. We have become desensitized. You know, man has tendencies when he starts out, is very dedicated. I mean, that's, that's the way we are. Whenever we decide to follow God, we're, we're 110% in, or we think we are. And we try hard. But then as time goes on, we're, we wear down with the sin that besets us, that the Bible talks about. It drags us down. We become indifferent to it. We tolerate it. And if we're not careful, we will be accepted of it. This process was demonstrated about the three men that we talked about in the beginning of our lesson. Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoram. And we saw the consequences of what a little indifference uh, had on th those families. As human beings, we learn many different traits. And I believe that we can learn to abhor evil and love clinging to what is good. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, is there any virtue? And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The Apostle Paul understood that whenever we thought on good things, and we incorporated that in our lives, and we clung, would cling to that, that it would help us tremendously in living the Christian life because it, it displaces evil influences. I'm going to tell you right now, good and evil cannot occupy the same space at the same time. And that's what Paul is trying to get uh, the Christians to understand. If you dwell on these things, you incorporate these things in your life, uh, this will help you uh, abhor that which is evil and cling to what is good. Here are a few thoughts to consider 
that I believe will encourage us and help us see the importance of clinging to what is good. You know, when we experience the joy that comes from not dwelling on the negative, but thinking on good, uh, and see the common effect that it will bring to our uh, walk with God, that's motivation. When we experience the lack of turmoil in our lives that comes from doing God's will, that's incentive. When we see the many heartaches that can be avoided by embracing good and turning our backs on evil, that's common sense. When we uh, think about the assurance that when this life is over, we will live eternally with God in heaven. That should be the clincher. That should make us all want to cling to what is good. God's message rings clear today. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And let the peace of God reign in your heart. Satan's agenda is to promote misery. Jesus said Satan's sole purpose was to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you an abundant life. His invitation was to come unto me and I will give you rest. When the world and its cares has choked the love of God out of our hearts, Jesus can return us to our first love. When we are weighed down by sin, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and return us to the joy of our salvation. Let me encourage you to let Christ cleanse you this morning. Let me encourage you to get right with God and start your walk or rededicate your life and uh, start your walk again. That will lead you to eternal life. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Paul said therefore if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold all things have become new. Christ's invitation is open to all this morning. If you wish to obey the gospel. Being baptized for the remission of sins. And being raised to walk that new abundant life. Or if you desire the congregation's prayers on your uh, behalf, we ask you to come forward this morning as we stand and sing.